I'm Ryan Helfenbein with the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty here at the campus of Liberty University where Christ is King, church is essential, and freedom is everything. Today in the wake of the riots and protests this summer, shouts of Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and kneeling to the mob, we are seeing this country unravel in record speed. We are witnessing and have witnessed massive cultural confusion. And the church, in many ways, has been party to that confusion. Christians are literally bending the knee to the moral gods of chaos and merciless outrage. The problem today is that we prize empathy and not truth. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about the kind of empathy compelled by the gospel or the spirit of Christ, but rather a narcissistic emotion that is equally self-serving and motivated by fear. Fear of rejection, fear of missing out, fear of being judged or condemned as a hater or worse, a racist. We have lost our sense of truth and we have lost our sense of justice. What is justice? These days, no one seems to be able to define it. The Bible gives us clear definition, but we're too busy virtue signaling to pay attention. Justice needs no adjective qualifier. There is no your truth or my truth. But today we speak of justice in very subjective ways. In light of that, today we're talking about biblical justice and social justice. What is it? How do you define it? And how is it impacting our culture at large and our local churches. Hey, welcome to this exciting edition of the Falkirk Center podcast. This afternoon, I have the joy and privilege of being joined by the Associate Discipleship Pastor at Westside Church in Omaha, Nebraska, Virgil Walker, as well as the Dean of Social Media at Grace to You, Daryl Harrison. Also, both of you are co-hosts at the Just Thinking podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. It is so good to see you this afternoon. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on, Ryan. Well, I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm seeing so so much civil unrest. Uh, It's not shocking in one sense because the world has always been this way. Um, there's always been division, there's always been hatred, there's always been violence, there's always been corruption, there's always been cries against injustice. And I think one of the things that probably would be the most, it is the most unsettling and shocking in this current cultural moment, gentlemen, is the response of the church or churches. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing so much confusion among Christians and there's, there's, there's no lack of resourcing. The Bible itself is the ultimate resource uh, for biblical truth, of course, but so much resourcing, and yet we're bereft of biblical truth, of discipleship. Virgil, you disciple uh, men in your church. Daryl, you are a part of one of the largest shepherding uh, resources in the country uh, in terms of biblical truth with grace to you um, and uh, that ministry, and I've been blessed by that. Um, But we're here today to talk about biblical truth versus, uh, sorry, biblical justice versus social justice. And that's exactly what I want to dive in today. So let's define the terms. What do they mean? Yeah. Virg, why don't you take a stab at that first? I'll I'll, I'll start out by saying this. I think one one of the things, Ryan, that you bring up, it's critically important, is what's not happening. Um, oftentimes terminology is being used, language is being used, 
It's being adopted as, as that which we must now be engaged in, apart from any clarity about, about defining terms. And so I, I appreciate the fact that you started out by saying, hey, let's define this. Let's get some, let's get some biblical parameters around what we're talking about. And biblically speaking, when you look at justice uh, in Scripture, when you begin from a standpoint of justice in Scripture, we've got to begin with the fact that justice is an attribute of God. Uh, that, that, that the very attribute of God that's expressed is, is that he is just, that he is holy. In the, in, in the New Testament, we see the term justice as synonymous with righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. But, but, but the reality is when we, when we look at the justice of God, we have to start with God's holiness, God's goodness, the fact that he defines objectively what is right, mm-hmm. good, just, perfect, holy. And we're going to have to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 3 and understanding when things become unrighteous, un, you know, when, when mankind involves themselves mm-hmm. in sin, requiring God's justice. Mm-hmm. And so w- once we begin with a biblical parameter, biblical framework of what justice is, that's, that's, that's moral perfection as defined in the eyes of God. Uh, that's the standard. That's now the benchmark by which we can look at the rest of the world and the things that we encounter to determine what is right, just, mm. holy, and true. God is that perfect standard. No, oh, that's so good. What does it mean, uh, and, and Daryl, this is something I want to kick to you, but what does it mean that God is holy? I think that's something that we need to define as, a, as an quintessential attribute of who God is. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Ryan. And I think when we talk about God being holy, first of all, we have to think about that his holiness, as as well as all of his other innumerable attributes, are innate to who he is. So God God never is in a position where he's not holy. He he is consistently holy because that's who he is. Who Who you and I are innately is evidenced by the attributes, the characteristics, the behaviors that we demonstrate. That's how people know us. Mm -hmm. So with God, though, his holiness is innate to him so that he is perfect, pure, righteous. Uh, The scriptures define him in terms of being light. Uh, That that, that, that speaks to his utter perfection. Um, uh, It's such a degree of perfection that the finite mind can't really comprehend that. So I think it's important for us to understand, this really goes to the question of justice as well, mm-hmm. that God's holiness is equitable in its application to each one of us. So in saying that, it's not that he expects uh, a, 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 a certain degree of, uh, of uh, righteousness or obedience uh, from one person and not from another. His standard is equitable to each of his image bearers, and that can be attributed to the fact that his holiness is innate to who he is by nature. Mm. Where does, in, in the biblical narrative, where does, and Virgil, you kind of introduced and you, you talked about it, touched on it, but where does injustice enter the picture in the Scripture story? Yeah. Well, Matt, in, in the Scripture story in the, uh, in the Old Testament, I mean, I, mean, I, I alluded to it earlier, you're going you're gonna to begin at, at Genesis 3, and then, and then you're going to turn the page to Genesis 4, and you're going to run into mm. Cain and Abel immediately yeah. thereafter. So you're going to see injustice take place by image bearers as a result of the fall. You're going to turn to, in the New Testament, you're going to turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and, and identify the fact that, that through one man, sin enters the world, and as a result of sin, death reigns in all mankind. Mm. And again, to, to the point that Daryl made, this, 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 this lack of, of purity, this lack of holiness, 
got to us, infected, if you will, by Adam and permeates systemically, if you will, mm. through the entirety of mankind in an equitable fashion. We've got to keep those things in mind. And it's incredibly important as we listen to the terms of the culture that we go back and re-engage them through the lens of scripture so that we properly identify, properly categorize, and then properly apply the right prescriptions to the problems. Mm, very good. And right, if I, right, if I could just add yeah, something go to ahead. what Virgil says. So we're talking about in a larger scope, right? Biblical justice versus social justice. And when you think about those two terms and how we define those, I look at biblical justice as, in terms of the gospel anyway, that God uses the gospel in the world, in society, to, to achieve his righteous, his holy uh, ends in the world, all right, as it relates to our equitable treatment of one another. But the gospel achieves that by working from the inside out, mm -hmm. okay? Social justice, on the other hand, tries to accomplish the ends that biblical, biblical justice achieves, but social justice approaches that by trying to work from the outside in. So mm -hmm. social justice tries to get biblical fruit or gospel fruit by working through changing structures and institutions, hoping that that will yield biblical type of fruit. But the gospel work from the inside out, from the heart. And, and yeah. so we, we society benefits by genuine heart change. And as a result of that heart change, we obey God's laws and precepts in society. Yeah, Jesus literally said, it's not what goes into man that corrupts him, right? It's, it's right. the heart itself. That's and throughout chapter the, seven. That's right. And, and, and all throughout the Old Testament, uh, circumcision itself was a symbol for what was to take place, not just the removing externally of the foreskin, but mm -hmm. removing the foreskin of the heart, which is what Jeremiah mm -hmm. the prophet had talked about. Um, real quick, just to kind of, you know, there's never uh, enough time but I want to just real quick in the Old Testament define justice in terms of how the Mosaic law was, was first established. So you, you have the fall of man in Genesis 3. You have corruption, sin, nature. Uh, you have the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 400 years later, Moses comes along as a shepherd, deliverer, you know, uh, brings uh, the people out of Egypt, out of... Uh, the tyranny of slavery and, and uh, the subjugation under Pharaoh. Uh, and then they go and march into the wilderness. But at Sinai, God, in his grace, meets Moses at the mountain and he gives the law, which actually the law itself was, was, um, was a tutor, as Paul says later, um, to show man his utter sinfulness before God. And so it demonstrates the quintessential attribute going back to the holiness of God. But I would love to just talk about that real quick, why that's significant. Um, because I think some people even look at the Torah and see, they may open their Bibles, uh, gentlemen, and they might read a, a, a title heading in Deuteronomy that says social justice. And they say, see, it's there. It's in the text. It says social justice. What's the Bible talking about? 
Well, I'll, I'll start ahead, by simply, I'll start by simply saying that I mean I, I love what you just walked through because it it unpacks the the, the plan of God right the biblical narrative that mm-hmm. that, that that God man his the, the fall of mankind sin enters the world Christ comes and then mm-hmm. redeems mankind, but but a, a, I look at what you just shared in the same way uh, what Paul would do in the book of Romans right mm-hmm. uh, Romans chapter one verse eighteen we know that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against mm-hmm. all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. That was clear in the mind of God from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Therefore, he, he would use all of what you just described in the Old Testament to, 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 uh, to unpack for mankind our sinfulness. From Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Paul unpacks in, in, in very clear terms uh, how, how depraved humanity actually is. And, and it takes that long to do in the very descriptive way that it does for the mere fact that in mankind, in our human condition, we believe that we are good. You ask the you ask the average person, you know, hey, do you believe yourself to be a good person? They're going to absolutely say yes. But their comparator is always the person next to them rather than the perfect holiness of God. And so what what we have in the biblical narrative in the Old Testament is over and over and over and over again, the use of the law for the purpose of exposing our sinfulness, our depravity, in an effort to point us to the Savior that is to come and to redeem mankind. Mm. And And here's the problem, Ryan, just to build on what Virgil was just saying there. Here's a problem with today's uh, wave of social justice activism is that they see they're looking to a new kind of law to basically self-redeem. They, they, they actually believe that by changing laws, by re- de- deconstructing certain so- uh, structures and then rebuilding them, that we can remake society into uh, what the gospel says can only be brought about by heart change through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, one of my favorite texts, when you talk about uh, uh, biblical injustice and justice is Leviticus 19, 15. It says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You should not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But when you listen to the world uh, and even some evangelical social justicians, they are giving deference to the poor. So they're saying, well, we need to get involved in these works. We need to change these laws to make society more equitable. When the gospel doesn't teach that, Christ changed the world one heart at a time. Mm. You cannot separate the justice of God from the gospel of God. We will never achieve uh, justice in society apart from heart change that is only brought about by faith in the gospel of Christ. Mm. Amen. Yeah, let me, let, let, yeah. Can I add? Can I add something to Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I'm going to go to Romans chapter eight, yeah. uh, verse three. Uh, where, where, where it explains the whole purpose and point of, of, of the gospel that, again, it begins by saying that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are mm. in Christ Jesus are free from the spirit of, uh, for, the, for the law of the spirit of life, rather, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Verse three is critical because what it explains is mm-hmm. what social justicians are actually trying to accomplish with additional laws right. on the book. Yeah. Right? Right. Verse three says, for what God has, God has done, Again, this is an important portion. What God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Mm. The, 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 the law was able to identify sin, but the law was insufficient to transform hearts and cause us to live in a manner that, that, that social justicians and others would hope that, that, that our society is, is transformed into. It was never intended to transform hearts. It was simply a, a tool to identify how needful our hearts were of that transformation. Mm. 
That's so well said. I, I was just the other day, we did a podcast and we also talked about Ezekiel chapter 18, uh, where uh, literally God is saying that the sins of the father no longer pass to the son and the sins of the son no longer to the father. All the souls are mine and the soul that sins shall surely die. And uh, I, I feel as though, you know, in the sense of biblical justice, we, yes, there is the Old Testament woe to the cities, woe to the nations, right? You see that. But there is this Marxian notion of collective guilt. And uh, the Bible makes it very clear that represented before God, before the judgment seat of Christ, we represent ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and so, yes, in Adam, in, in the in sort of the federal head, you know, however you want to do that theologically, we all died. That's in Romans, the imputation of Adam's guilt. Uh, but then we also have the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And so that is the gospel. God is just and he's the justifier. So he paid our debt. But we cannot pay that debt. We cannot atone for the sins of our past. Or, and, we, and, we, and we certainly can't repent of those sins, the sins of another. Um, and I just, I just would love for you to speak into that as well and that notion. Yeah. Let, yeah. let, me, correct, let me correct you there, Ryan. Okay. Because according, according to today's social justice movement, yes, you can pay for your sins, the sins of someone else. Mm. And you should. Mm. And you must. Mm. And the only payment that you can make is in terms of monetary penance. Mm. Okay, it's all. It, it's uh, the, the the solution, the the penance, the uh, the uh, reparation is always in monetary terms. If, if you listen to the world speaking to how we can redeem ourselves and make up for hundreds of years of white oppression, uh, so yeah, let me. Cor- I just want to correct you there, brother, because actually <laughs> you can. Yeah. Uh, Pay for the sins of someone else. And if, if, uh, if anyone if anyone wants to send a check, I'll leave my name and address. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, other, other, otherwise, otherwise they're just they're just virtue signaling. So. Ah, gotcha. but, well, Ryan, yeah. Ryan, on a serious note, what you're alluding to is what is uh, rather conspicuous within evangelicalism today. There right. is, and Virgil, I, Virgil no, and I talked right. about this. You're right. Yeah. There is a there's just a level of biblical illiteracy that we're seeing right now that we have never seen. Uh, before. And what I mean by that is that we're seeing evidence by virtue of evangelicals individually and then churches collectively buying into a type of woke theology, sort of the the quote-unquote social gospel that basically uh, reduces the work of Christ below the work of man. It's Mm -hmm. as if we can redeem ourselves, right, by going into into the community and doing this, doing that, Giving money to this, giving money to that, and and it's it's as if we have no concept whatsoever of why Christ came into the world to begin with. Mm. It's, it's just unbelievable to see, and it's very sad. Virgil, anything you want to comment on that? No, I, I I think you're right. I mean, you you've coined the term sin by proxy, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we we we've, right. we've 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 looked at a historic past, and we want to we want to bring forth the sins of forefathers and ancestors that, that that had nothing to do with with us, and and bring them forward. When we 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 wouldn't even do that in our current culture. Like, I don't want to be associated with the sins of every person whose melanin count is like mine. Mm. Uh, yet 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 we want to go back into Jim Crow era, into slavery era, as as if. As, and, and again, this is this is kind of the, the Conian thought process, as if the, the the American system, the American structure, is the only framework by which we must do that, rather than looking outside of those boundaries to add to, to add to the the sin account, if you will, of what actually took place. When we begin doing that in a proper way, 
we have to go back and appeal to scripture, which is, which is what I quoted earlier from Romans chapter five, sin mm. entered the world through one man. Yeah. Uh, we've got to go all the way back to that, to that account uh, in, in order to, in order to really begin to hash things out. So well, I think this is a great time to let's now transition um, to let's, what is social justice? I, you know, the, the biblical account of what justice is, is really based on the character of God's holiness. Mm-hmm. But what is social justice in, t- in the cultural term? I, you know, how do we find that? Yeah, I think social justice uh, is, is not a term. It's not a biblical term. I need to say that up front. Mm. Social justice is not a biblical term. As I just read from Leviticus 19.15, when you look at that text, and you look at our obeisance to that text. When we obey God's precepts and commands, there's justice in society. Mm. When we disobey those precepts and commands, there's injustice in society. This is not complicated. But what what social justice do, added to the definition of what social justice is, is this sort of extra-biblical misconception that there must be equity across the board. Uh, Virgil and I did a podcast episode recently uh, titled A Biblical Theology of, of the Role of Government. Mm. And in that episode, we, we clearly laid out the distinction between equal and equity. Okay, mm. there is a difference. Yeah. God's justice, God's justice, for example, in Leviticus 19.15, provides that every person, whether you're poor or wealthy, whether you're small or great, gets equal treatment. Okay, social justice, however, demands equity, equal outcomes, equal opportunity, and you cannot get equity without partiality. Okay, mm-hmm. and scripture is clear that partiality is sin. Mm. Very, very good. Uh, I I think about um, you know the confusion within um, Christianity as we talked about at the beginning, and terms that are coming within the church mm-hmm. that are loaded and mm-hmm. um, are well-defined within a certain group, but then, and it's largely within the universities, and um, it's largely within uh, a group of, of honestly woke whites who mm-hmm. are the academics and all of that, and mm-hmm. they come up with this terminology, um, but I'm seeing that churches are repeating the same things now. Right. Okay, right. so privilege has been thrown around a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and white privilege, and you've got to give mm-hmm. up or surrender your privilege or all the other things, all the other slogans that are coming out right now. But what is that in terms of social justice or how it's being used right now? And those are those are Marxian ideas. Okay, I mean that that that, that that's that's a social cultural Marxian idea where where you break people up into oppressor and oppressed classes, mm-hmm. and you've determined based upon the oppressor class that they have certain privileges that the oppressed class do not have. Now I. I Go ahead. You no, know, I was going to say, go ahead because you 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 mentioned it. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, cultural Marxism, and then the, the oppressor oppressed. Go ahead and define that yeah. for us. Yeah, those 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 are those are. I mean, those are things that, that that come from 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 Karl Marx and the ideas around that. Those are those are those are uh, uh, communistic ideas. Those are social cultural ideas that are antithetical to Christianity. Again, we're, we're, I think the point you made earlier, Ryan, is we're adopting language from which we have no idea its source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're deaf. And, and these are ideas that are antithetical to a biblical worldview, but they're being, they're being carted into the church 
And we're repeating them, not knowing their origin, not knowing where they come from, and not knowing the devastation that they've caused in the world already as they've been tried, mm. right? And so what, what, again, what the idea of privilege is, is it's a separation. The, 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 the idea of there are the oppressed class and there is the oppressor class. And in our culture, what we've done is we've looked at majority culture said, okay, we can identify that majority culture by lack of melanin in the skin. They're, they're, they're the white folks. And they've had an advantage that we now don't have. And so we've now placed that lens on and we've looked at all of society through that, through that, that, so, that, that social cultural milieu. And, and again, the problem with that is it, it negates God's sovereignty. It, it's, it's, it says I'm required now to bend the knee to the to the white guy who, quote unquote, has privilege rather than the belief that God is sovereign in all things. Mm. And, and regardless of the melanin or lack thereof in anybody's skin, God is going to bless me to the to the extent or degree that he that he's designed for me from the very beginning. Mm. Uh, so so the idea that white that white uh, oppression, that that white um, uh, uh, opportunities, that white privilege are going to keep me as a black man back, I can't find that in the pages of scripture. I serve a God who's way more powerful, way more, the, the, the God of the Bible that yeah. I serve, Amen. his hands, his hands aren't, 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 are tied behind his back on the basis of any sociocultural construct. Mm. Amen. Now, right, right. What, Vir, what Virgil has done so brilliantly right here is not only define cultural Marxism, but he's also defined critical theory and critical race theory in the same statement. Because mm -hmm. cultural Marxism has layers to it, okay? Yep. And, and critical theory and critical race theory are layers within cultural Marxism. So when Virgil alludes to applying a critical eye to the culture, to where the outcome of that critical eye is to blame people who look like you, that's critical theory applied in a racial, or I like to say, uh, uh, ethnic context, ethnic. okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what Virgil has done here. You know, when you talk about, uh, just to build on what Virgil was saying, uh, robbing God of his sovereignty. I look at a text such as Matthew 5.45, and this is what social justicians cannot stand. Matthew yeah. 5.45 says, so that this is this is talking about, uh, this is Christ speaking, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what, what, what certain social justicians, even within the evangelical church, cannot stand, this is what they call privilege, is that God actually blesses those who they don't think are virtuous. Okay, so I don't think you're virtuous enough. So I hate the fact that God has blessed you. Hence, I'm going to call. I'm going to change my vernacular there. I'm going to stop stop calling it blessing and call it privilege. Mm. Okay, so that opens the door for me to be to embrace cultural Marxism, to embrace critical theory, and replace it with a not not just a new gospel, but a new soteriology. So, so we're we're talking about a brand new definition of, of what salvation looks like. Mm. So, so the social gospel teaches a salvation whereby you have, in order to be uh, become fully orbed, to fully embrace Christ's sacrifice on the cross, is to ensure social equity mm -hmm. throughout the world. And you can't do that again without being partial from one group, one class over another. And that is a sin. Yes. Amen. I, I, gosh, I, there is so much to uncover. And one of the things that... Um, is so frustrating is that right now in this this particular moment um, I think that the sin of empathy is what's getting away between us and preaching the word preaching objective truth and actually speaking truth into the situation and and 
the fear of being labeled or mislabeled or being called a hater um, or, or being guilty of mistreating or even worse, call, being called a racist. Here's what we're going to do, uh, gentlemen. Um, we're going we're gonna to quickly wrap up and, and end the cross-politic episode. Um, I thank you so much for joining on. Follow the Falkirk Center. Uh, the rest of this uh, will be showcased on YouTube and on FalkirkCenter.com. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, guys, this is the extra innings of the Falkirk Center podcast, and I'm with Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. And gentlemen, this, this conversation is so important, and I want to keep it going. Um, we're ta- I was just ta- talking about the sin of empathy, and I really mean from an emotional sort of narcissistic sense right now. I, I, you know, I'm not um, trying to psychoanalyze uh, the culture, but it seems as though there's an emotion that's wrapped up in this. And so when people are coming at me with all kinds of loaded terms and language, it's intimidating. It really is. And uh, we're seeing demonstrations right now where entire police departments and, and National Guard platoons and you name it are kneeling, literally physically kneeling. And, and I would love to just, just to hear a comment on that. What's going on there? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in by saying this. Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned the issue of, of empathy, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that's, that's not really what's taking place right now. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's much greater. I love something I saw from Daryl. People aren't, people are not interested right now in justice. They're interested in vengeance, mm. right? They're, they're interested in vengeance. And, 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 and I think those who have empathy, uh, those who are brokenhearted about the injustice that was applied to George Floyd, I think, I think there's, I think there's validity in that. I think as an image bearer of God, we should all mourn the loss. We should all be sure. brokenhearted. Amen. But, but I th- I think, Ryan, I think it's fueled by something that you alluded to earlier when we were talking about kind of looking at the Old Testament, where you said there is a woe to the cities. There is a woe to the nation yep. that you find in, 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 in the. So, so what what social justicians, those who are theologically inclined are doing and not all of them are. Some of them have no idea where they're pulling language from the culture. They're using it. It feels good. It feels right to the point you made and they're running with it. There are those who are theologically inclined, and they're pointing to scriptures in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, that say, woe to cities, woe to nations. But what they're doing, where they get this wrong is they truly believe that they are the hand by which to determine how to, how to enact God's justice. Mm. When, when, those, when those things are ultimately left to the sovereignty of God to handle and, 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 and deal with, it, it is not, it's not on the part of, of some <coughs> social justician to, to, to raise up and go riot in the street to make his voice heard for something that he believes is an injustice. Mm. That, that, that's, not, that's not what we've been given to do. We're to speak about the injustice. We're to do so in a way that affirms gospel proclamation. And that's the instruction that we've been given from Matthew 28, mm-hmm. right? What, what the problem is we don't believe the gospel mm-hmm. and we don't believe it works quickly enough. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, really, that's really the problem. Uh, Daryl, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I just want to add, you know, I'm thinking, as I listen to you, Virg, I'm thinking about uh, how Jesus responded to John the Baptist's uh, inquiry when John was in prison uh, right before. You, you, could, you could say, arguably, the injustice that was done to John the Baptist, yeah. uh, apart from Christ, apart from the injustice in, in Christ being murdered, the injustice done uh, to John the Baptist uh, will be comparable maybe to what happened in Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis. But how Jesus responded to the injustice uh, to John the Baptist, he's imprisoned 
unjustly. He, uh, he, he, he was in prison because he, he preached the truth, but he asked, he, he sent one of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you truly the one we've been waiting for? Should we expect another? Um, within the response that Jesus gave John the Baptist, he said, go back and tell John what you've seen, what you've heard. You've heard the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And then lastly, and more importantly, Jesus said, tell him that the poor have had the gospel preached to them. Uh, okay. Now, so now social justice, Jesus would have said, well, go back and tell John that the poor all have jobs, the poor all have homes, the poor all all all, all of them have all the all the clothes and and, and yeah. they have all, even some of their luxury needs. But see, that's the social justice Jesus. That's the that's the Jesus that social justicians embrace. Okay, but that's not the Jesus of Scripture. Yeah. All right. So when you talk, would you again? Ber Virgil mentioned again social justicians who are theologically inclined. Okay, but what goes along with a theological argument is your hermeneutic. Yeah. Okay, what is your hermeneutic? See, social justicians, they'll drop a scripture on you, but we have to be astute enough to be able to dice that hermeneutic up mm. and understand what context and what context they're using the scripture. And most times, more times than not, they're mm -hmm. using scripture in an unbiblical, uh, erroneous hermeneutic to advance not just an argument, but an agenda. Yeah, it's you're exactly right. It's almost, uh, and I I've seen it all the time. Um, you know, even with the economic uh, stuff, uh, the Ron Siders mm -hmm. of the world, um, mm -hmm. it's basically the Sermon on the Mount, and and, mm -hmm. and the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe Romans 12 and a couple other passages, and then that's it. Like that, we're not going to get into the whole sin issue. Um, the last thing you want to talk about in the secular social justice narrative is the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Because right. that gets rid of the victim. You're no longer right. a victim if you're sinful before God. And, um, and, and in that particular, Daryl, that passage you read, that's an echo of Isaiah 55 and, and that he's coming to preach the good news to the captives, right? This right. is, right. The, this is the, the, year, the year of God's favor, you know? And right. so literally the messianic prophecy has been fulfilled. And John the Baptist, uh, who was foretold in Malachi 3, mm -hmm. We, you know, he knows. It's like he had the ears to hear that. He knows what Jesus is saying. The good news was preached to the poor. So uh, of which he was the one who prepared the way. Um, and so I think, you know, in the temporal reality, um, and, and Virgil, you have been so clear in talking about the sovereignty of God um, in, in suffering and in injustice. Um, but the, the reality in the, in the Christian gospel, our hope, the telos, the eschaton, the, the finish of all of this, is that he will wipe away every tear from our eye. He will be enthroned uh, on this earth. The kingdom of God will be literally here on this world. Um, and I feel like there's a sense in which you were talking about the outcomes. People are getting the, they're on the wrong side of heaven. Uh, they want, they want uh, the benefits of heaven, uh, but they don't want to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Uh, right. right. So I, I, but I want to, I want to do this. Um, and cause I think it's important, um, when talking about social justice, a few more terms, you mentioned, uh, Virgil, uh, the Conian, and I know you're referring to James Cone. Um, for those who just have no clue who James Cone is, um, uh, for those who don't know who Kimberly Crenshaw is, uh, maybe just a, a couple of definitions there to supply us with, because I think that's really helpful. 
Yeah. Well, you get from Kimberly Kinshaw, you get you get intersectionality, right? You get mm-hmm. you get the whole idea of, of of intersection, the cross section that that we come into based upon our the the, the status we have as a victim. So, mm-hmm. and, and and that and that dynamic, what you have is you have those who 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 perhaps have a, a, a minority status, be it black, brown, you know, red, yellow, definitely not white. Uh, you, you have a, you have a status, and then the intersections of of, of I, I I directly say victimhood. Uh, it, it, the the intersection of something that's happened to you in the past, historically speaking, uh, will, will allow you more points on the intersection. Mm-hmm. And so, as if you're black and 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 uh, gay and and uh, perhaps you you have a uh, and, and a disability, you would you would post high on the intersectional scale. If mm-hmm. if you are a if you're white and male, you would you would be low on that intersectionality scale. And those with more intersectional points, those that we, that, that come into contact with more intersections of of challenges, in, historically speaking, have a louder voice. So now now truth is based upon a standard of how many victimhood points you have on on the scale, mm-hmm. rather than truth being the objective standard of God's word. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's, that's, that's the problem. James Cone is the father of, of black liberation theology. Uh, I've got behind me, I've got a stack of his books that, uh, that Daryl forced me to read uh, in, <laughs> in, 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 in preparation for different talks and different things that, that, that we're about to do. In fact, we were talking earlier before we got on, and, and Daryl has spent quite a bit of time uh, studying black liberation theology, liberation theology at, at, at Princeton. But James Cone, all of the language that we're hearing today from white guilt to white fragility uh, to to um, you know to, to to opportunities for 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 blacks and Black Lives Matter, um, yeah, all of all of that language that we're hearing today, found its its origin, its genesis, if you will, in a lot of what James Cone laid out in the books and, and his writings. They've they, 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 these are the contemporaries who've read his works, have transformed the language, and are using that moving forward to. To, to really put in bondage a whole culture uh, that, that lies ahead of us. Mm. And, and Ryan, what Virgil uh, just gave us connects back to what you were saying earlier before you handed it over to Virgil. You talked about our captivity to sin. And see, this is why, what Virgil just said is why I made the point earlier. Black liberation theology and intersectionality want to uh, uh, convey to us, no, no, you're, you're not captive to sin. You're captive to the structures. You're captive to, you're captive to the racial institutions. You're cap- captive to the racist structures, especially in, 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 and only in some cases in America. America is unique in this sin in the eyes of liberation theologians and those who preach intersectionality. So it's not the captivity to our sin that we need to be delivered from. It's captivity to white oppression that we need to be delivered from. And as you alluded to early on in this episode, you listened to our episode on whiteness, and you saw how we yeah. use the very language of Black liberation theology to debunk yes. the, uh, the criticism of whiteness, because Cone argues yeah. for such a thing as blackness. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, if it's okay for Cone, then why isn't whiteness okay for white people? Mm. Okay, please please define uh, James Cone's blackness. This is, this is great for our audience, because it's really important. Uh, yeah, well, I, I hate mm-hmm. to disappoint your audience. You're probably looking for something very uh, astute, very <laughs> academic, uh, very, very, uh, you know, educationally deep. But listen, my def- Cone's definition of blackness is anything that's not black, anything that's not culturally black, 
anything that's not socially black, anything that's not ecclesiastically black in terms of uh, black evangelism and their our traditions, our uh, mores uh, that we engage in when we worship God. Blackness is defined by Cone as anything that's not black. So uh, any tradition or mores that are, are white, mm-hmm. Asian, Hispanic, you name it, any any other ethnicity outside of, uh, of someone whose uh, shade of melanin is dark enough on the spectrum of melanin, anything outside of that is whiteness. Wow. Okay? Right. Everything else is blackness. Yeah. And-, and I would encourage your listeners, your viewers, mm. to go to the Just Thinking podcast and listen to the episode on whiteness. Once you listen to that episode, yeah. you will understand fully what we're talking about. Guys, homework assignment. I, I highly encourage it. I listen to it. I think it's excellent. I think it's well done. Um, and when you think about the gaslighting of culture and you think about the loading of terms mm-hmm. and you think about the way propaganda is used and the way we're being discipled, uh, you cannot afford to be uninformed. And so I think right. that's critical. Um, a couple of things, a couple of notes as we as we kind of wrap up, because um, if, if you're willing, guys, I would love to have you back on sometime to talk again. Because I think this is huge. Um, this is a great conversation. I want to keep it going. But I, I go back to what makes a man or woman confident? You know, it, it, the, the sure foundation, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ how is it that I can walk out there today, Virgil um, and Daryl, uh, into a world that is going to give all, throw all kinds of labels at me and everybody else that I love? How can I stand sure and stand fast and know that I am forgiven mm. and that I can be forgiven and that I can have the assurance not only of salvation, but I can have my guilt wiped away? Yeah. First of all, yeah. what is that guilt? And how can I have the assurance that I don't need to bend my knee to a culture, but I need to bend my knee to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I have that assurance? Yeah, I, I think we, we, we talked about Romans chapter 3 earlier. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it, it, it's kind of Paul's kind of sledgehammer, right? It's, it's the final verdict as he's pushed all of mankind, humanity, Jew and Gentile into the courtroom of God in the, in the, in the previous verses from, from verse 10 of Romans three, all the way to verse 18 and 19. He just, and, and, he, and he uses our very framework, our very body as a, as, as kind of a, as, as kind of a evidential process, evidence. Look, look, look at his mouth. His mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Look, look, look at the eyes. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Look, look at his feet. His feet are swift to shed blood. And so as, as he navigates through that, by the time he gets to verse 20, he says this, he's verse 19. He says, now, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. We all are accountable to God for our sins against him. But thank God that, 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 the, that the text doesn't end there. In the very next, in the very next verse in, in chapter, in verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. It's been witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God available through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. This, 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 this text of scripture, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, is the most brilliant part of scripture. It's, it's the but now of God, right? It, it's, the, it's the Ephesians chapter three, right? Verse yeah. four that, that, that tells us now God, he, he did something on our behalf while mm. we were steeped in sin, while we were engrossed in depravity, while we were unrighteous, unholy, worthy of death. 
He steps into the frame and helps us so that now by the time we get to a Romans chapter 8, verse 1, what we have there is now for those who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Christ, they are on the surest foundation because Scripture declares in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, Ryan, it's interesting that you ask that question. You go to that down that road of uh, folks having assurance of salvation. The next podcast episode on the Just Thinking podcast that we're going to be recording here in a couple of weeks is on the doctor on the subject rather of, of assurance of salvation. So we're going to be tackling that. And I just mm-hmm. want to read real quickly a text from Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, and hopefully this will be an encouragement uh, to some who are watching. For he, for indeed, this is Paul writing, for indeed, he was crucified, that is Jesus, was crucified because of weakness, yet he lived because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him. Listen to this promise. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. Okay, because wow. we can have assurance because of who God is. Trust in the character of God. Trust in the nature of God. Trust in the righteousness and holy, holiness of God. God, in the end, will prove true to himself, mm. even though we may not prove true to him. Mm. Amen. I'm going to leave those as final words, gentlemen. Uh, and my, my own exhortation to anyone watching or listening, you know, bow and bend the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not surrender to the gods of this age, the gods of chaos, the, the gods of merciless outrage. Um, it, it, it's a it's a charade. It really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. the only way we can have our sins forgiven, the only way we can have uh, a, a sure and steady foundation is by putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Amen. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for the witness that you have. And it, and it really does um, encourage me that your ministry, your main ministry is within the context of the local church. And so I would just say to anyone listening, if you're not a part of the local church, go be a part of the local church where they mm-hmm. preach the gospel weekly, mm-hmm. where they baptize regularly, uh, and where there is, a, there is a healthy ministry of discipleship in the Word of God. And so mm-hmm. thank you guys. And uh, for all you tuning into the Falkirk Center podcast, God bless you. 